Welcome back to another sci-fi episode where we're going to continue to examine how we think, feel, and behave with money. We talked in the previous episode of the key findings of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's financial wellness research. And the findings that they found were absolutely incredible. I would encourage you, if you have not listened to that episode, listen to that one before you listen to this one. Because in that episode, we talked more about their key findings. But now in this episode, we're going to talk about the opportunities to advance financial well-being. Okay, Olivia, now that I have my financial well-being score, now I see how I compare with other folks, but I also have this, this subjective sense now of knowing that not everything is tied to income, not everything is tied to educational attainment, not everything is tied to gender, race, or anything like that. It is tied to the behaviors that we choose to engage in. So here are some opportunities to advance. And now granted, this sci-fi program is brought to you by Army Community Service and Public Affairs provides the upkeep and the ability to provide these podcasts. So I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the military for a little bit. After all, it's my bread and butter. I am employed by the Department of the Army to provide this information. And the Financial Readiness Program is a congressionally funded program for service members and their families. Now here at Team Redstone, we see a lot more retirees and DOD civilians than we do active duty, but it's still a program that is to assist you in becoming more financially literate. And I haven't spoken recently to my active duty audience. And probably because I do see a lot more civilians and retirees than active duty. But let me, let me talk to my active duty population. And that includes reservists and guard members on Title X orders. Did you know that common military training for financial literacy is a mandatory program? Leadership has been made aware of this through an op-ord and exord at least through the Department of the Army. But there are other branches where this is all also rolled out. The Air Force has one, as well as the Navy. So when I talk about opportunities to advance financial well-being in this episode, there are plenty of things that the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, etc., have come up with to improve your financial literacy and therefore your financial well-being. And one of those is through that common military training, which I'm going to provide a link in the post for those who would like to learn more and access and take these wonderful trainings that are there for you. And if you're not sure which trainings are mandatory for you right now, go ask your leadership to look you up in Vantage to see what is due. The opportunities to advance financial well-being, here, here they are. It's confidence in your ability to achieve a financial goal. So because that is associated with a higher level of financial well-being, we want to boost your confidence. That's an opportunity. The other opportunity is savings habits. If only we could boost your saving habits, 
and other day-to-day money management practices, which are associated with higher financial well-being, you would have a higher financial well-being score. And listen, it's not just about the score. It's about your sense of financial well-being. I gave my score. I scored a 69 out of 100. But I feel really good about where I am financially. I sleep well at night. Did that happen overnight? No. I had plenty of people who spoke into my life to get me to where I am today. So we must also be humble enough to listen to great guidance. And if you have someone in your ear who's not speaking financial truths, find someone who will. Another opportunity is to improve financial planning behavior, especially long-term planning, because that is also tied to higher financial well-being. And finally, the opportunity to increase our financial knowledge, and even more so, our financial skills, because those are positively associated with financial well-being. Remember what I said in the first episode, financial knowledge is attaining information that is going to be useful in the financial world. Financial skill is applying that knowledge. It's action-oriented. Financial literacy is putting it all together and being a savvy consumer. I want to talk to you now about the different things that were found to be associated with financial well-being overall. What influences financial well-being? But first, let me give you a little data nugget from this research. Again, this was done by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Quote, only 10% of adults with less than $250 in liquid savings have financial well-being scores of 55 or higher while only 10% of adults with more than 75,000 in liquid savings have scores under 55. The disparity throughout this research project is incredible, and it just proves the point that financial well-being is extremely subjective, and it's about your own perception and several other factors that influence your financial well-being. So listen, 10% of folks that are making 75,000, or not making, but have $75,000 or more in liquid savings, we're not talking about TSP, we're not talking about 401k, we're not talking about an IRA, we're talking about $75,000 in an emergency savings account that they could pull out in the next hour if they had to. They had financial well-being scores lower than folks that only have $250 in an emergency savings account. Wow. So what are the things that influence our financial well-being, Olivia? I'm glad you asked. The first thing is our social and economic environment. Now, I've shared my story. I came from humble beginnings, born into Section 8 housing, but I did not let that define who I wanted to become. And then in high school, we went back to poverty. The Army is what saved us from poverty, but then when my dad was medically discharged, we went right back to it. But 
I remember thinking there's more, there's got to be more. I've had a taste of it and I've had a taste of what is good. I want to get back to what is good. So here are some other things within that social and economic environment which can impact a a higher financial well-being score. And that is what surrounds you in your family and your community. You can't pick your parents. You can't pick when you're uh, under the age of 18 or 19 in Alabama of where you get to live, okay? You are beholden to what your parents' decisions are. (laughs) But that is not for a lifetime. If you think about it, age 18 or 19 and younger is a very small amount of time compared to your entire lifespan. So even if you're less than the age of 18, you can still choose who you're going to surround yourself with in the community, who you're going to allow to speak into your life, what what financial truths are you seeking at this moment in time. So it's not fixed. Your social and economic environment are not fixed. So here are some other things that influence financial well-being. Your personality and your attitude. And this involves how you tend to think, feel, and act. Ooh, that sounds just like the sci-fi podcast, examining how we think, feel, and behave with money. So let me give you a, a good emotional word picture here. So two people in a similar household can have powerfully significant differences in scores just based on perception, personality, um, lots of different things. So that example is my husband and me. So we both grew up in very humble beginnings, very poor homes, But he came out with financial knowledge, financial skill, and financial literacy. Thank God. Because I didn't. I had no financial knowledge. So because I didn't have financial knowledge, I didn't have financial skill. And because I didn't have financial knowledge or skill, I didn't have financial literacy. He taught me that. So we came from the same kind of social and economic environment, but he chose wisely. He chose to do something different where I was under a spell or a thought, misguided thought process that I could not achieve what other people could achieve because of my upbringing and because of where I was. I'm so thankful that he was put in my path because I'm very proud of where I am now. And I get to impart this financial knowledge to you. And you get to impart that financial knowledge to your offspring. Even if you're someone living in Section 8 housing listening to this podcast, or in a trailer in a rural area listening to this podcast, or in a fancy uh Upper West Side apartment in New York City listening to this podcast, none of you are going to have the same financial well-being scores. And I bet you there are folks that will be in a lower socioeconomic group who are scoring higher than the folks in that fancy pad on the Upper West Side. So 
It all comes down to what you are choosing. So personality difference, yeah, that can that can impact you, but it is still something that you can alter because it's based on how you tend to think, feel, and act. We may not always be able to control what we think and feel, but we can choose how we act, which can impact how we think and feel and will impact how we think and feel. Then the other things that influence us are our decision context. Let me say that again, decision context, how a particular decision is presented. And then your knowledge and skills, what you know, what you don't know, and how and, and what you know how to do with that information. So personality, decision context, knowledge and skills impact your behavior, which is what you actually do. Now, before we get to personal financial well-being, let me get throw one other factor in there with behavior that impacts your, for your personal financial well-being, and that is available opportunities. What options are open to you? And this is where I think a lot of people in America get hung up. Well, there are a lot of folks that don't have opportunities, and there are a lot of folks that do have opportunities. And, and then where's the middle ground, though? So as a very poor child at the age of 16 living in a two-bedroom trailer with a family of four with holes in the floor, I can tell you that there were still several available opportunities for me. I just had to look for them. I just had to reach for them. And remember, we're going to be talking about opportunities to advance your financial well-being. That includes confidence. Find people who are going to speak confidence into you. Find people who have earned the right to speak into your life. To grow your confidence, not to reduce your confidence. So that tied, the available opportunities tied with behavior will impact your personal financial well-being. But we're still in control of available opportunities because we can look for them. We can find those opportunities. And remember, your personal financial well-being is how satisfied you are with your financial situation. And again, the definition for personal financial well-being is found in that first episode. So I want you to go back and listen to it. Okay, so here are some other things. Here's, here's another thing that goes with what influences our financial well-being. This includes the fact, and I'm going to quote this, quote, the fact that many of the factors with the strongest apparent relationship with financial well-being are not fixed is encouraging. As is the fact that many strategies have been shown to improve financial decision-making and financial outcomes, end quote. Financial decision-making and financial outcomes. If you're looking for a financial outcome of being financially free and financially secure, you must change your financial decisions, which includes tapping into different proven financial behaviors. And that's what we're talking a lot about today. I want to continue to encourage you to read and find more opportunities that are available to you. Here are the four elements of financial well-being. Now, I gave the definition of financial well-being last time, which I think it's only fair to give it to you again. It is the state of being 
wherein a person can fully meet current and ongoing financial obligations, can feel secure in their financial future, and is able to make choices that allow them to enjoy life. So the four elements of financial well-being include your present and your future and your security and your freedom of choice. Here's what that looks like. With security in the present moment, that looks like control over your day-to-day, month-to-month finances. For security in the future, it, in, it looks like this, the capacity to absorb a financial shock. So if you're wanting to increase your financial well-being, you automatically go to, oh, in my present situation, do I have control over my day-to-day, month-to-month finances? That's a behavior that you can engage in, and you can engage in with me in an individual session. If you have access to Redstone Arsenal, uh, you can give me a call at 256-876-6299. We'll set up an appointment. And then also a behavior to save money to, for your emergency account to absorb a financial shock. That's how you improve your future. Here are the other two. Freedom of choice in the present. This is what it looks like. The financial freedom to make choices to enjoy life. Oh, I love that so much. And anyone who's been in my classes and has listened to these podcasts, hear me say over and over again. It's not about how much you bring in. It's about what you do with what you bring in. So I'm not someone who brings in a ridiculous amount of money every year, but I do have the financial freedom to make choices that help me enjoy life. If I want to take my girls out for a special dinner, I have the ability to do that because I've budgeted for it, because I've accounted for it. I've given every dollar a job every month. That creates freedom of choice in the present. Now, here's what freedom of choice in the future looks like when you're on track to meet your financial goals. A little more subjective, a little more open-ended, but you are the only one that gets to define what your financial goals are. If you are not an NFL player and you're wanting a fancy pad like that NFL player, probably not a realistic goal for you. I mean, unless you are some like some folks here at Team Redstone, you, you do have a high income. And depending on how well you work with your money, maybe that is a realistic goal for you. But for most of us, we're not going to be able to live like someone who is bringing in a million-dollar paycheck every year. So we have to temper our expectations and set realistic goals And then as we're tracking our goals, then it feels good knowing that, oh, we are inching closer to reaching those goals. So let me quote something out of this research study. Quote, the interviews we conducted with consumers and financial practitioners indicated that there seems to be no single set of characteristics or circumstances that lead an individual to have higher or lower financial being, well-being. Instead, the interview suggested that changes in one level of financial well-being can arise from a combination of many factors, end quote. That's what I've been saying from 
part one and now into part two. The biggest thing that they found, there are so many factors that go into this. It's not just based on your income or education level or your race or your gender. It's based on a myriad of things or variables. So another quote, and then I'm going to expound on this. Quote, the measures identified as potential contributing factors include indicators of financial socialization, which include early parental financial education, instruction, or observation. Social context, which includes your social circle, employment, location, and other factors that may provide resources in support of financial well-being. And personal factors like your demographic characteristics, attitudes, personality, knowledge, and skills, end quote. Let me talk a little bit about financial socialization. Like they said, this is your early parental modeling. Parents, if you want your kids to experience financial freedom and security, you will socialize them financially in such a way where you are modeling good financial choices or good financial practices. You're teaching them about the cost of credit. You're not teaching them how to spend credit. You're teaching them how to spend money, money that you've saved to purchase what you've been wanting. You're teaching them how to live within your means, not beyond your means. You're teaching them to give within your means and not give beyond your means because we are caught up in a crisis situation where so many people, and I saw one in my office yesterday who is having the hardest time setting boundaries with her parents because they keep asking her for money. We have to set boundaries. Or Parents that continue to support their grown adult children, robbing them of opportunities to create their own sense of financial security and freedom. So that includes social context. And then personal factors, we've already talked about that. So parents, how you choose to financially socialize your children at an early age will greatly impact. But listen, it's not over. If you are breathing, you still have a purpose as a parent. It is never too late. You can learn this stuff yourself and you can impart this knowledge to your children. And believe me, people are hungry for financial information. I would encourage you and leave you with that. All the things that are going to help us to gain a higher financial well-being score, those are things such as confidence that are going to impact us, increasing that confidence, increasing saving habits, increasing financial planning behaviors, and increasing financial knowledge and skill. You are in control of that. Not the president, not Congress not what comes next out of different laws, but what you are in control of. If you need more explanation on that and you still don't know how to break free from maybe some previous generational footholds, give me a call, 256-876-6299 if you have access to Redstone Arsenal.